welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Tay Swetmik territory within the unceded traditional lands of Swetmik Ulu. And today's text, Please Ignore Vera Dietz by A.S. King, is set in a fictional town in Pennsylvania, which we're reading as being in or around the area of Reading, Pennsylvania, which is the traditional territory of the Leni Lenape peoples. Mm-hmm. And Brenna, you must be so excited that we finally get to talk about A.S. King for more than just a brief shout out. Oh my god, Joe! I'm so excited that you've read this book. I'm so excited to talk about her work in more detail. I am so excited that my library hold came in, so I've been simultaneously reading her newest book, Switch. I'm just... It's a, it's a good day. <laughs> it's a lot of A.S. King. It's a lot of A.S. King. There could never be enough. <laughs> So folks, this is our book club entry for August, and sadly, at the time of recording, we have not received any listener feedback, so maybe it was just a bad month, or maybe the book didn't sound like it was a good fit for you, but uh, it's just going to be Brenna and I talking about it today. Yeah, and I really do recommend you check it out, even if you didn't check it out in time for book club, and hopefully our conversation today will prompt you to do just that. That's my hope anyway. Okay, yeah, and I will co-sign on that. I did maybe have a small problem with how the book comes together in the end, but overall, I really enjoyed this, and I find A.S. King's writing fantastic, like just so eminently readable and accessible. Yeah, it's fascinating to me because it is readable and accessible. The characters feel incredibly authentic in oh, their yes. fallibility, mm-hmm. uh, in their brokenness. And yet, um, she plays with really interesting aspects of magic realism, of of ways of trying to represent trauma uh, mm-hmm. that I think are really interesting. So it's nice to get a book that is both really super readable, like you can sit down and just read it in a couple of sittings. Yeah. But that it leaves you with something more. I think, you know, that's kind of rare. Like, normally a book with a lot of things to think about takes you a while to move through. So she's Mm -hmm. got a really good voice and a really, I find, persuasive, uh, fed-up teenager voice. Like, (laughs) A.S. King is really good at that voice. (laughs) And I will say, surprisingly maybe daring isn't the right word but the structure of the book Mm -hmm. was not at all what I expected so well in some ways this is a relatively straightforward book about overcoming slash dealing with trauma and grief it also is written stylistically in an innovative way so it's a non-linear timeline and we also have inanimate objects uh, speaking and we've got Mm -hmm. differences of perspectives we've got flowcharts in here Brenna I know, I love a flowchart. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I saw these, I was like, wait, is this why Marina likes this book? <laughs> it's not not Decision why I like trees. it. <laughs> Some of my favorite parts, though, are, you know, when Vera is like rapsing teenage about the pointlessness mm-hmm. of the pagoda on the hill in their community. And then the pagoda gets to share its point of view. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, thank you. I love it. It's just just that little bit weird, right? That I yes. find really gravitates. Or I think that's why I really gravitate to A.S. King's work. But I guess yeah. I should say what the book's about first, right? 
Indeed, yes, because uh, at this point, we really don't know if anybody read it, so we <laughs> might need to cover our bases. Okay, so our protagonist is the Vera Dietz of the title. She's a teenager. She lives with her dad. Her mom has disappeared on them and started a new family in Las Vegas mm-hmm. and has absolutely no contact with her. We get, I think, one phone call uh, in, in the whole book. And, and $50 birthday Oh, checks. right. Oh, my God. For some reason, I find that more offensive than not sending anything. I don't, I just, there's something about the dismissiveness of it. It's so cold. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So Vera lives with her dad, Charlie. Uh, Charlie's a recovering alcoholic. Charlie and Vera's mom got together when they were super, super young. Um, Vera's mom was 17 when she had her. And so there's all this kind of narrative of like overcoming family history and not Mm -hmm. being like your parents. That Vera, not just that Vera wants for herself, but that her dad is adamant about all the time. Yeah, and it's really difficult because Vera feels like her dad is just constantly comparing and grading her to Mm -hmm. her mother. And it's really important then that we do get chapters from her father Ken's perspective because he recontextualizes that and you do get a greater insight. He has a lot of rules that he imposes on Vera. And you think that in some ways he's just being a bit of a hard ass, but the reality is is that he is doing it out of kindness. And I really love that we get to see both sides of that because they interpret it in such different ways. Something that I've often said about A.S. King is that she is my favorite writer of parents. I Mm. really like how fully fleshed out and human and fallible the parents are in her texts. And I totally realized that I called her dad Charlie, which is not his name. Thank you for correcting me. Vera's (laughs) dad is Ken. Charlie is the other really important character in the text who is Vera's best friend slash love interest slash sworn enemy who at the opening of the book we discover has died and the town believes that he also set fire to the local pet store and killed all the animals in it when he did. And so the book is about coming to terms with not just Charlie's death, but the collapse of their friendship that came about just before his death. Mm -hmm. So Vera's kind of grieving twice. And also it's about the high school rumor mill and the kinds of things that people believe about Charlie and by extension believe about Vera. It's about running away from her father's alcoholic past and her mother's past as a stripper. It's like all of these kind of things culminate in this young woman who is 18. She works full time delivering Mm -hmm. pizzas as well as going to high school. She's quietly sinking into her own alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And she keeps seeing Charlie's ghost everywhere she looks. Multiple ghosts everywhere she looks because she believes that Charlie is sort of begging her to clear his name. He had nothing to do with the pet store fire and she wants, he wants her to help people understand that. And what we discover as the text progresses is that Vera knows a heck of a lot more than she has ever let on. Mm Mm-hmm. And part of the trauma that she's living with is really not knowing where to put what she knows. So, yeah, the book is quite complicated, as Joe alluded to, in that it moves back and forth between flashback, present day, the perspective shifts. I read a lot of reviews on Goodreads that are like, you have to read the chapter titles or you won't know what's going on. Uh, 
<laughs> yes, especially when we're flashing back and forward in time. But yeah. I would argue that the voices are distinct enough that you can pretty clearly figure out where we are and who's speaking. Yeah, you can definitely tell when the pagoda is talking, for example. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I alluded off the top that there was a couple of things that I didn't 100% love. Mm -hmm. And I will confess that over the duration of the book, especially as we're moving towards the end, and it feels like Vera is dragging her heels in mm. acknowledging some of this stuff like she's really reticent to actually do the emotional work in processing her trauma coming to grips with what's happened confiding in her father going to the police and so on the cutaways to the pagoda and <laughs> even some of the things with her dad towards the end i was like okay it feels like we're just delaying things now mm. like i liked it in the beginning because it was cute and cheeky and it gave the book a sense of identity but i got frustrated as we moved mm. towards the end because i was like no just stop and move on like it's time to address this head on i don't need a cutaway to the pagoda <laughs> I can totally see that. And I think that part of what is frustrating about the book stylistically sometimes is that these are all ways of representing trauma, right? Like mm -hmm. dissociating, fragmenting, fracturing. Yeah. And when you're just trying to get to the conclusion, because as you learn more about what has happened, the urgency we feel as readers for Vera to go to the police <laughs> because mm -hmm. like there is a sexual predator involved. There yeah. are a whole bunch of other pieces involved. And we especially I think as adult readers are like, you have to go and deal with this. <laughs> like, you yeah. cannot keep avoiding it. And yet Vera insistently keeps avoiding it. And yeah, hugely frustrating, I think, stylistically, I think intentionally so, but I totally I so. get what you're saying. And it becomes so important then to recognize where Vera is at. So she mm -hmm. is on the cusp of adulthood, right? Like the fact that the book takes place across many years, but in the current year, she is turning 18. And that really impacts things like, you know, she has a boy at the pizza place that she likes, James, and he's 23. And I love the conversation that she has with herself where she tries to justify, well, the five years difference won't be that big if I'm 80 and he's 85. And you're like, yeah, but you're 18 and he's 23. And yep. those five years are very important right now. But it also reflects on how she processed and dealt with her grief, the tragedy, even the fact that she realized she was in love with Charlie and always was, but she and he never really got a chance to do anything about that. Mm -hmm. And it's because she was too young, like she wasn't able to really make decisions for herself. And so her dad was making a lot of those decisions for her. Mm -hmm. And She's only now realizing, oh, I do have a voice. I have responsibility. I am my own person. It feels like the book is taking place right on the cusp of her figuring out, I need to live my own life. Yeah, I agree. One aspect of sort of the healing at the end of the text that I have a complicated relationship with is the therapy. Okay. We've talked before on the show about how important we think it is when texts have characters go to therapy. Because mm -hmm. it's shockingly rare considering the amount of trauma really that we read on this show. <laughs> like, yep. oh my god. So many characters should be in therapy, just saying. <laughs> yeah, like all of them. All of them. Yeah. So Ken and Vera end up going to a family therapist to start to talk about, I mean, really to talk about the absence of her mother. Because mm -hmm. they're both in huge denial about how the absence oh of her mother has shaped 
every choice they made, right? Like Ken yeah. is a hard ass with Vera because mm-hmm. of the absent mother figure. And Vera feels deep abandonment and her need to not turn out like her mother is at least in part what shapes the distance that she puts between herself and Charlie. So mm-hmm. they go to therapy and on the one hand, good, they're going to therapy. On the other hand, they sort of make fun of the therapy the whole time that they're going to it. But on the yes. other hand, they also make progress through the mm-hmm. therapy. And so it's an interesting way of representing, I think, probably how a lot of people feel about seeking help for mental health right it's like i don't want to be doing this i kind of just want to make fun of it i'm trying to put some distance oh crap it's working (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think i think one of the things i really like about a.s king's writing is her willingness to give us those kind of complicated relationships and I don't know. I felt a little bit uncomfortable. I wanted them to go to therapy and just be like, yay, therapy is great. Because yeah. that's what they needed to be. But of course, that wouldn't be very authentic, right? No. And this book is so steeped in authenticity. It's not mm. just the way that the characters speak and the way that they think that A.S. King is so good at capturing. It's the reticence to engage in things that you don't want to do or oh, yeah. the willingness of people to take the easy way out when oh, off yeah. of it, right? Like, the thing that really hurt, so we haven't talked about it, but part of the reason that Charlie is a bit messed up is because he has an abusive father, and he is abusive physically and emotionally to both Charlie and his mother. And Charlie and Vera are neighbors, so Vera kind of had front row seats to all of this. But so did her father, Ken, mm-hmm. and Ken would repeatedly tell her, well, we can't do anything can't about that. Can't, get, can't involved. get involved. And that, ooh. Like, Mm -hmm. you know that something is deeply wrong with Charlie. You can see all these warning signs. You can see him pulling away from the healthy emotional relationship that he has with Rira and pursuing burnouts and the detention heads and falling in with the bad crowd, which is what ultimately leads to the burning of the pet store. Mm -hmm. I I love the fact that we don't actually spend a lot of time processing Mm -hmm. how bad that is because Vera doesn't want to spend a lot of time because she feels guilty about not trying to rescue Charlie and her dad doesn't want to think about it because he's an adult who doesn't want to burn bridges he doesn't want to get involved in other people's business because he's so busy just trying to hold down the fort with his own family Mm -hmm. and that is real stuff and it's really hard because you realize we're probably all doing some of that like we are Mm -hmm. all no i'm putting up my blinders i can't deal with anything more than what i can do even though i probably do have a responsibility well and it's deeply cynical right because ultimately what ken fears is getting involved with Mm -hmm. this abusive dude next door and nothing happens right like yeah. he, he says on numerous occasions like the police aren't going to do anything yeah he's like and then we live next to a violent man who knows we've called the police on him mm-hmm. it's cowardly and it's so frustrating that he doesn't put charlie's well-being first and also it's totally understandable and gross and makes yeah. you so uncomfortable And in general, you know, one of the things that Vera dreads about getting older and becoming an adult is that she equates adulthood with not caring, with not Mm -hmm. seeing, with being unwilling to stick your neck out for other people. Like that to her is the definition of adulthood, which is like, as an adult, Mm -hmm. a little affronting, right? (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
because it is kind of true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And really, when you start to think about it, the most responsible kind of level-headed adult in Vera's life, at least from her perspective, is Mary or Marie, the woman who owns the pizza place that she works at. Because everybody else, her mother is gone and doesn't seem to care about, you know, oh, I have a daughter, but I don't have a relationship with her. She's got a father who she feels is overprotective. None of the teachers at school have any idea what is going on and don't seem to care about her. And then, yeah, she's got, you know, people like James who... Sure, it's only five years difference, but also you're a college dropout who is working at this pizza place and you're trying to hit on a 23-year-old. You're actively feeding her booze and taking her to the pagoda makeout point. Yeah, there's a reason to be cynical about the way that adults are portrayed in this because mm-hmm. Vera is out there doing it on her own because no one seems to care. Well, like, the people in her world, right? Jill, who we kind of like at the pizza shop. She seems Mm -hmm. like somebody who's at least a kindred spirit or at least cares and wants to look out for Vera, except that she's dating a neo-Nazi who Mm -hmm. assaults Vera at the Christmas party or the Super Bowl party or whatever it is (laughs) because he thinks she's weird. Yeah. It's like, these are the adults. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I mean... I think one thing to acknowledge, we said off the top that this is set in a kind of anywhere USA town. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of things embedded that are not explicitly stated. Like there is some casual racism. There is mm-hmm. divide between class lines about like a rich part of town, a poor part of town. We're also very firmly dealing with another one of these. I hate this place and maybe if I could just get away from it. Like Mm -hmm. all I have to do is survive until a point where I can leave this town and then my life will be better. And it is interesting considering the conversations you and I have had around place, placelessness, uh, identity and how it's affirmed in a specific geography. I'm interested about how YA often explicitly says like small towns are not good places for teens and Mm -hmm. really... Your destiny is to grow up and get the hell away from there. Well, and it's interesting because everybody wants to know what Vera's plan for getting away is, and Mm -hmm. she doesn't have one, right? She's going to go to the local community college because her father has made it clear that he's not paying for her university. Oh my gosh, his fiscal controllingness? (laughs) His parsimoniousness, Joe? (laughs) Yes. Oh, but also shout out to all the vocab lessons because I really like those. Yeah, it's good. It, one of the sort of conceits of the book is that Vera is in a vocab class. I, I presume it's a preparatory thing for SATs. Otherwise, I, I was so. in a class that was just vocabulary. I know. Although, I mean, that's like, that's the question of standardized tests in general, isn't it? Like, mm, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, so you do, you get some great vocab words. She uses them in sentences and everything. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that kind of stuff. Like, it's yeah. one of my favorite YA conceits. I like it too because it it evokes that feeling when you are a teenager of the sort of all-encompassingness of anything you're doing, even if it mm-hmm. seems sort of frivolous or foolish to the outside world. And yeah, if you had to memorize a vocabulary list every single week for an entire year, it would probably take over your inner thoughts as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's one of the reasons why we have coincidental classes on our YA bingo, mm-hmm. but... 
it does feel like when your entire existence is going to school, taking classes, negotiating friendships and hierarchies around class and that kind of stuff, it does start to feel like every little thing that you do is being informed by all of these little details, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, if we're reading Romeo and Juliet in class, all of a sudden it ends up becoming a commentary on my lived experience because this is the scope of my world as Mm -hmm. a teen, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So what do you think of the end of the book, the outcome? Do you find it satisfying? Do you find it too kind of quick and easy? Mm. Yeah, no, I don't find it satisfying. (laughs) Okay, interesting. Part of what I don't like about the ending is that for a book that spends so much time being so frank and authentic with us, I wanted more. I wanted to know more about the follow-up from the police station. And Uh, I wanted to know hmm. more about the follow-up from therapy. Right. I don't mind those things being open-ended because I think they Mm -hmm. would by nature be open-ended. But I guess I wanted to be told they were open-ended. Does that make sense? (laughs) Like, I feel like the book is... I, I feel like in some ways the book is written so that there isn't a pat ending like you can't be like oh well that's very hollywood Mm -hmm. but also the openness of it is kind of left to the readers probably personal levels of cynicism about the justice system yeah rather than being overt about it i wanted a lane to be picked in the end and i felt like it wasn't Yeah, I can totally see that because when she finally makes the decision, she shows her father the messages that Charlie has left. He's left a manila envelope of incriminating evidence, which just, oh, I I thought, okay, cool. You know what? I'm actually kind of ready to wrap this up. Like, let's say that she has confided in her father. We know that they will now take this to the police. I almost would have preferred that it ended there. And not mm-hmm. then, also, we made a breakthrough in therapy. Also, we're yeah. going on a father-daughter trip to the sea. You know, it felt a little too, oh, well, now that we solved that problem, everything is fine. Yeah. I would have rather had, okay, we're going to do the right thing, but also life is still messy and we haven't mm-hmm. actually resolved anything. Yeah, one thing I was grateful for, I was worried the first time I read this that the the mom would reappear at the end. And oh be like, gosh, yeah, that's actually where I thought they were going. I thought yeah. they were going on a trip to Vegas to see her, and I just thought, no, absolutely <laughs> not. No, you're out, lady. You're out. You're done. You have lost all rights and privileges, <laughs> especially oh that phone call. That phone call. Oh <clears throat> my god. <laughs> and I appreciate that again. We get so little of the mother, but she's not a simplistic character in that she is immediately the villain, but. Oh boy, to get the phone call that says, I am your mother. It's like, no, I'm sorry, you have lost those privileges. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, oh, it's it's that she would even try, right? After Mm -hmm. so many years of complete absence. Yeah. Yeah. But it also feels like a Hail Mary where Ken has said, okay, I never wanted to have to do this, but Mm. I'm bringing in this person that you have put on a pedestal in terms of your own personal development slash uh, (laughs) personal growth barrier. Yeah. And I will bring her in in the off chance that it actually convinces you you need to stop drinking. You need to stop making bad decisions that could ruin your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's. You can sort of see where Ken is coming from and it highlights his desperation, but also mm-hmm. I just... No. I just needed someone to scream at that woman. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. I'm so happy when Vera yeah. hangs up on her. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so good. It's interesting when we get these difficult mothers in YA because mm-hmm. I think that it's a harder cultural 
well, we just don't really have a cultural script for for mothers who leave. So I think it's always mm-hmm. a harder road to hoe for a writer to explore that. But I'm always appreciative of it, right? It's just mm-hmm. not the norm, not what you typically see. No, uh, but I think it it's all the more important as a result because mm-hmm. really, especially when we think of the number of texts that have single parents, it's like this is a lived reality for a lot of people, either because of divorce or because of death or just in these kinds of situations. Mm-hmm. It's like, yep, we just up and left. Mm-hmm. This is a lot of people's reality. I feel privileged in a lot of ways. I still have two parents and they're still married. Mm-hmm. Well, totally. And Vera, as much as Sid says it, right, in many ways, she dismisses her own trauma because she says like two thirds of the kids at school only have one parent. Like, mm-hmm. it's no big deal. Except right. that Except how that absence happens is a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. And and what that reconfigured family looks like and its willingness to deal with what it's undergone, that, that all actually matters, Vera. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when you realize how much it factors into the way she gets treated by other people. Like, mm-hmm. we've not talked about Jenny, who is the antagonist of this Ugh, book. Jenny. Like, the title is a reference to Vera's desire to stay off the radar of yes. everyone, right? Like, yes. she wants to lie under until she can graduate because she just doesn't want to have to deal with the fact that people might learn about her mother and when people do her life becomes completely intolerable because everybody wants to say oh your mother blah and oh doesn't this mean that you'll become a stripper as well it's so ludicrous and so high school right (laughs) it is and because i'm reading switch which is as king's newest book alongside this i'm noticing that king seems to be very interested in people who lie but also Mm -hmm why people believe the lies that they're told. Right. This is a similar through line in the other book I'm reading. And I find that really interesting, right? Because one of the things that Vera says to Charlie before everything explodes is Jenny has lied to everyone about mm-hmm. everything for her whole life. Why are you yep. believing the things she tells you about me? Yeah. And there's an interrogation happening here, not just about the person who lies, mm-hmm. but about the things we're willing to believe about other people, who yeah. we're willing to believe other things about, you know, like mm-hmm. there's a whole constellation that goes into those decisions we make, those choices we make. And Charlie's willingness to just sort of be like, yeah, I'll side with her over you. Yeah. Our whole history, like whatever. Yeah. yeah. I found particularly in this book, it all comes back to where people's insecurities lie. Yeah. So if you feel insecure about it, you're actually far more likely to believe the person you shouldn't, if only because... They're tapping into something, right? Like, yeah. basically, for those who haven't read the book yet, Jenny tells Charlie that Vera has been spreading his family secrets around mm-hmm. school. And Charlie not only believes Jenny... But he retaliates. Yeah, uh, retaliates is better. Thank you. Yeah, by telling Jenny secrets about Vera's life. And, mm-hmm. and Vera has to reap the consequences of that twice. So first she loses Charlie's friendship because he's willing to believe Jenny over her. And then she has the social fallout of everyone finding out her family history. Yeah. And so this idea of like lies why we tell them what we gain from them but more importantly why we believe them i found Mm -hmm. a really fascinating thing that i'm still thinking about and it's probably the part of the book that i'm still thinking about the most since putting it down oh sure yeah because the whole book is predicated on this 
interaction, right? Like it's mm-hmm. because of the lies that Jenny spreads that Charlie believes that Vera ends up being punished for. It's mm-hmm. the reason that Vera blames herself because she didn't try to intercede on Charlie's behalf when he asked her for help because she was so hurt because mm-hmm. he believed this other girl and not mm-hmm. her, mm-hmm. despite the fact that they had known each other forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's heartbreaking. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So one final conversation piece, because we've talked about A.S. King a number of times. You have seemingly read all of her books. I think I have all but the first one. Okay. But you cued me to this that despite her popularity, despite the fact that her books are winning all kinds of prizes, she's had an illustrious career. She continues to write. Why have we never gotten an adaptation and seemingly have none on the horizon? Why do you think? Ah, I don't get it, Joe. I really don't. And I, I do want to talk about this. And I hope that those readers, even if you didn't get something in in time for the book club, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. As near as I can figure, A.S. King has 13 novels out. Okay. They have won everything from American Library Awards to Lambda Literary Awards to Library Journal Awards to the mm-hmm. big, she won the, the big, biggest big one, yeah. Michael Prince Award for Please Ignore Vera Dietz. And again, sorry, she won it twice. She won it for Dig as well. I don't mm. understand why these <laughs> books haven't been adapted. Some of them are deeply, deeply weird. Like the one that I'm reading right now, Switch, it takes place in a fold in time that oh. happens okay. in March of 2020. You can tell what she's sort of playing on there. Uh, okay. And time effectively stops, but people keep living and people keep dying and babies keep being born, but the clock doesn't move. And Ooh. so... I get that there's weirdness, right? Right. Everybody sees the ants and asks the passengers, have a lot of sort of almost hallucinations, dissociations in them. But mm-hmm. we've seen weird stuff get adapted in YA before. We've seen so trauma times. get adapted in YA before. Yes, all the time. So I don't understand. And particularly, I think of all the books, Please Ignore Vera Dietz is probably the most adaptable. Mm-hmm. There's such a perfect YA moment in the airplanes, the paper airplanes flying down from the pagoda over yes, town, right? Like, yes. these are perfect YA moments. There's a perfect date to be shot there. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. Joe, you're you're more into the cinematic aspects of things. Do you get a read on why? To be honest, my default was... I wondered if she was a Judy Bloom and she Mm. was actually shooting down offers to adapt some of these because I would say if she was an unknown author who had only published a couple of books and yeah, maybe some of them were a little bit more challenging, that might explain it. But this is not the case. This is a woman who has a ton of optionable books. Mm -hmm. These are recipes where you say, this person has a fan base. This person is critically acclaimed. This is a name that we can hang things on. And yeah, maybe they're not as marketable as something like a Hunger Games or an Ender's Game or any other YA book that ends in game. But, um, you know, before we started recording, we talked about, well, maybe it's the trauma, because the trauma Mm -hmm. can be very challenging, particularly in a realist YA situation. You know, it's not bombastic enough. It doesn't have the hook to get people into theaters. But we saw Speak get adapted, Brenna. Mm -hmm. Like, I would have thought of all the YA books, that mysterious skin. How Mm. did those books get adapted when they are, I'm not going to say that they're worse but they are possibly more challenging yeah 
I don't want to diminish A.S. King because I don't want to be like, oh, well, your books aren't traumatic enough to get adapted. That's not what I'm trying to say. But no. Please Ignore Veer Dietz has fantastic messages. It would be hugely compelling to watch. Uh, I'm thinking of like the possibilities for a young actor to take on this role. The book is written cinematically. Mm-hmm. It was so easy to imagine how this would come together. I'm baffled. I spent the whole weekend just being baffled, (laughs) being like, why isn't this a movie? I don't get it. Well, the other thing, too, is that, you know, maybe the question is around industry buzz. But Mm -hmm. um, Please Ignore Vera Dietz is her second novel. So her first novel, Dust of 100 Dogs, was published by a very small publishing house. Okay. Please Ignore Vera Dietz came out the next year. It was bid on by seven publishing houses. First of all, Mm -hmm. that was back when we had seven publishing houses, but it was bid on by seven (laughs) publishing houses. So it's not even like there's not industry buzz around her, you know? I don't get it. I wonder if it was a case of bad timing. Like this came Mm. out before YA became seen as hugely marketable and profitable. You know, we talked about the kind of periods when YA was very hot. And I'm wondering if this kind of fell between the cracks and they're not going to be looking back at old texts to adapt when they've got contemporary books. Well, I guess that's true. But then, you know, it's not like she's not still writing. So... Right. Pick any of these other ones. Although I will say that from about mid-career, her book, I Crawl Through It, and the ones that have come after are pretty surrealist, mm-hmm. I would say. Maybe the harder ones to adapt. So maybe that's, maybe her moment just passed, but man, yeah. it's that's a shame. disappointing if that's the case. <laughs> they, are, they are so cinematic. She, I, I like that you use that word because you're right. She writes in a, I guess, visually rich kind of way. You know, Mm -hmm. some books don't inspire you to imagine how they would come to screen, but this one definitely does. Yeah, it just pops off the page. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I I did really, really enjoy this. It's all the more reason for everyone to read it because then Mm -hmm. you can imagine your own movie. I guess, yeah. (laughs) Should we do a little bit of YA bingo? Bingo! Not a good bingo. I am going to go with... Hollow friendships and romances for everything that Charlie experiences with the detention heads. Uh, yeah. And also a hollow romance between James and Vera. Right. Uh, it's a bit of a shame because I actually do like their chemistry a lot, but the timing is not good. The timing is bad. Yeah. Gonna go with a dead body. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a road trip at the very end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll do coincidental classes for the vocab lessons since they're everywhere. (laughs) Sounds good. I think we can do some magic supernatural for all of the hallucinations of Charlie. So many Charlies. I love this image of like the Charlies marching her to the pet store and being like, you have to tell them what happened. It would be very Mm -hmm. unsettling. Um, Good friendship because I do think the friendship between Charlie and Vera is as good as either one of them is emotionally capable of achieving. Right, right, right. Definitely um, abuse, because oh, we've got yeah. a whole family of it. It's so sad. We do have that perfect date. Yes. The sort of almost perfect date between Vera and Charlie, and then James's attempt to, like, recreate it and really just get her drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, perfect date-ish. And then I'm curious if you would count borrowed time, because it does feel... Mm. There isn't a set deadline, but it feels like everything has to come to a head. I would accept it because I actually think the book kind of opens with the idea that she is working towards a confrontation. And you kind Mm -hmm. of know it's coming from the first page, even if it's not like on a ticking clock. Right, right. Um, 
I don't think we can do any of the other ones because they would rely on a film, basically. Yeah, that's true. Make a movie, cowards! (laughs) We challenge you. (laughs) I'm sure all the Hollywood executives who listen to this show are jumping jumping on. Oh yeah, sure, sure. (laughs) Okay, so that's Please Ignore Vera Dietz. It's our our final book club for the summer because we're gonna take we're gonna take a little bit of time off coming up, so we're probably mm-hmm. not gonna do this again until a little bit later in the fall. Yeah, our schedule's gonna get a little bit weird. It's gonna be a bunch of mini sods, and then we're gonna take a little bit of time off. But stick with us, keep us in your feeds. We're around, and we'll give you lots of warning before the next book club starts. Indeed, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what are we talking about next week then? Okay, so our next pick is another mini-sode. It's going to be The Case of Windy Lake by Michael Hutchinson. So -hmm. this is the sort of indigenous, Hardy Boys-esque story that we've teased on the show before. I'm really excited to read it. It also just looks super fun. Yeah, super fun, very short read. So this is one where, I mean, folks, if you want to read along with us, feel free to chime in. Mm-hmm. And then in two weeks, our next adaptation episode is going to be. <gasps> Brenna, you're going to love this one. We're I'm talking so excited. about Moxie. You know what's funny is I know absolutely nothing about it except that it's in my wheelhouse. So I'm really excited. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so in your wheelhouse. We're going to bring on a special guest and it's so in her wheelhouse. Woo-hoo! It's basically going to be me sitting in the corner while the two of you talk about feminism for about 50 minutes. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> and folks, this is an easy one to find the movie version of because it is on Netflix. It was adapted by Amy Poehler earlier this year. Fantastic. So if you did read Please Ignore Vera Dietz but neglected to write to us about it before, I'd love to hear your thoughts on adaptation in A.S. King. You can mm-hmm. find us on the Twitters at hashtag HKHSpod or at HKHSpod. Um, if you've got something a bit longer, HKHSpod at gmail.com. Joe, if folks want to find you, how do they do that? <laughs> I am at B still my remote and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. Please send me all of your A.S. King fan fiction. All right. So you've got some stuff to read. You've got some stuff to watch. I hope you're planning some quiet time yourselves this summer. And I hope you're looking after yourselves. (laughs) Until next time, I will see you on the page. Yes, and I will see you on the screen. Bye-bye. 